Hello everybody and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of August 19th through August 25th. I'm your host Colin McIsaac and as always I'm joined by Alex Plant. Straight out of Wii U. And Ben LeMoreau. How's it going everyone? Don't you like live near Compton anyway Alex? Kind of. <laughs> We've got a really juicy week for you guys, thanks to some surprising patents Nintendo filed for their next home console, but we've also got some news for Splatoon, an awesome announcement about Pokémon Tournament, and more. After the break, we're going to talk about some awesome non-Nintendo games that we think you fellow Nintendo fans would love. Um, but uh, let's dive in. Well, I guess if we're diving, we'll start with some Splatoon. The next Splatfest is happening this weekend, and it features an interesting theme for North America. Autobots versus Decepticons. Europe's theme is singing versus dancing, but screw that. We're talking about Transformers here. <laughs> it's amazing to me, actually, that they nailed a cross-marketing, cross-promotional deal like this. Because, first of all, like, Transformers, the first cross-promo in Splatoon, like, who expected that? Right. Uh, at least first Western cross-promo. You'd at least think it would be something like Mario versus Luigi. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah, the the previous Splatfest, I think, have had, like, much blander choices like sleeping versus eating and that it's just kind of like <laughs> i can't choose between those two <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean that's i mean that's really exciting is because you know it, it's this great sort of moment in culture where especially in america um you know a lot of people are really excited about like certain brands especially ones from you know the same sort of time period as transformers is and you know it's really cool that they're getting this sort of cross-promotional thing um, you know, I'm sure when the Splatfest hits this weekend, just the internet's going to explode talking about it. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the real secret sauce, I think, about this whole direction that they're going with the Splatfest yeah. is I didn't really care about the past contests in terms of the theme. But I... Decepticons are not going to lose. <laughs> yeah, this is actually something that people can really get behind instead of just sort of casually voting for. Right, right. And, and not only that, but it makes me look forward to what the, what the next topics are going to be, whereas yeah. before I didn't really care. Yeah. He-Man versus Skeletor. Ah, that's a good one. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really exciting. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, the future kinds of things it means. I'm sure we're going to get a couple of, you know, things in the future like marshmallows versus hot dogs, but... Uh, you know, I mean, as long as they have a healthy supply of these kinds of cool, um, maybe like Mikey versus Donatello, like, yeah, you know, some, some cool things that like, you know, I think that's, I think that's really exciting. You know, what makes me sad though. What? We don't get to keep the Splatfest tea. I, yes, I was really hoping that they would do that for this one. Um, and yeah. they haven't said anything about it. I think they still gave the same message when you pick it up, but. Oh, did they? But. I mean, I kind of feel like. If they're doing this deal anyway, and if they're doing something that they know people are going to love as much as Autobots versus Decepticons, I mean, first of all, not keeping Splatfest shirts is ridiculous anyway, because if people want to commemorate that event, then you should let them be able to keep the equipment. Yeah. Um, it's not like it's special equipment. It just has a different design on it. Um, but especially for something like this, where people are definitely going to want to commemorate it. Yeah. Uh, but also in Splatoon news, uh, you know, everyone knows it's been a huge success for Nintendo since it's launched in May, and now it's breaking into the esports scene. Japanese companies Famitsu and Nico Video are holding an esports tournament from September through January, and there is a $1 million prize pool for Splatoon. You know, when uh, the Nintendo World Championships were first announced, we talked a lot about how Nintendo's actually got quite a few kind of competitive games going right now, and it would be great to see them make a push into the esports scene. 
And now we're starting to see that happen in Japan. So it'd be cool if that was something that uh, happened more on a global scale. Mm-hmm. And, and I like how, how much freedom they're giving players. Um, from what I've read, you can use any weapon, which is fantastic, because Splatoon is pretty much all about the weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what makes you sad is you can't use every piece of gear. Um, they've limited it just to the schoolgirl outfit you can get from the Inkling Girl amiibo, because, <laughs> because of course, it's Japan. <laughs> Um, and that's kind of a bummer since fashion and customization are really important. You know, you've got a bunch of kids running around wearing these ridiculous random outfits, shooting each other with ink out of super soakers and splashing each other with paint buckets. And, and there really was no uniform for Splatoon. And that was sort of part of its appeal. I think Yeah, you think as much as Japan Um, loves dress up Sims that they wouldn't want to uh, get rid of the customization (laughs) element. Yeah, but they love schoolgirls more. So. <laughs> well, the other the other weird thing is that you know the the customization is tied to uh, the player's abilities. To yeah. limit them to that, if they're gonna if they're gonna try to use the abilities that they want to use, they're gonna have to re-roll and re-roll and re-roll over and over and over again. And that is a it's already a huge pain to unlock those abilities. If you get abilities you don't want and then try to bring that to the esports scene, you know that's that's a huge inconvenience. Well, yeah. At the same time, though, the the really hardcore players who will make it to the the top levels of the esports scene are probably the ones who've either done the rerolling or invested in buying or ordering a piece of gear off someone else that has what they want. Um, well, but the gear that they buy off someone else that you can't put that ability into the schoolgirl outfit. Yeah, that's true. All in all, though, like it's that's great to hear. It's awesome. I really hope that means similar things for the future and for other territories and. I think it's especially great news just for for Nintendo's presence in gaming because uh, I think I think tapping into the esports market is a great way to sort of reestablish their uh, I mean not dominance because just tapping into esports won't have them dominating the market the way they did way back when but it is a great way to reestablish the sort of lost um, I think relevance is the word you're looking recognition for recognition just in the marketplace in general I think recognition yeah yeah, yeah. and this is a Wii U game. And, right. and to boot a Wii U IP exclusive. Yeah, I mean this this is the era of Nintendo where the fewest people care about them, like undoubtedly. Yeah, and that we're seeing signs of them starting to break into esports and starting to embrace that community better. I think that is a great step to reestablishing themselves as a, a very real presence in gaming and a very uh, serious presence in gaming that makes great games that the hardest core gamers still want to play. And they're making a shooter. Not that they've ever not been that, but a lot for many years people have not really recognized that in as many numbers as used to be true. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's a shooter. Yeah, new genre space and everything. Yeah. Also kind of in competitive a little bit, Pokémon Tournament was announced for Japanese arcades a long time ago, and since then fans have been hoping that the Pokémon Tekken crossover would come to home consoles. And that is finally happening worldwide in spring 2016. The Wii U version also introduces Pikachu Libre, one of cosplay Pikachu's outfits from uh, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, as a new fighter. We also got a ton of beautiful new screenshots to go along with the announcement. Um, so yeah, Wii U owners, if you get Nintendo games, you can get Pokémon Tournament on your home console. It's it's safe to say that this is a move that, that none of us saw coming. <laughs> You're uh, being sarcastic, right? Uh, very, very sarcastic. Good, good. <laughs> um, no, it's nice this, to see, though, that Nintendo is putting a game from another, from a, a genre that they already have represented on their, on their platform. Yeah. Because typically they're like one shot per genre unless it's platformers or maybe action-adventure games. And that's it. You'll get Smash Bros. and that's your fighting game. You'll get Mario Kart. That's your racing game. Now it's Splatoon for your shooter. 
Um, but you know, this is fighter number two published by Nintendo. So that's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I definitely think this is something that's not going to come to a surprise as anyone, but I would say it's a little disappointing that Nintendo wasn't able to make this happen by this holiday season. Cause with Zelda U being delayed, yeah, Star Fox is really the only big holiday title. And, you know, I feel like a, a game like Pokémon Tournament could have filled that slot a lot better. Yeah, well, I mean, it's definitely a, a weird... What is surprising is that it's coming this late. I mean, I never expected it would have been any time before, like, summer 2015 when they first announced the game. Yeah. Um, and here we are. It's the tail end of summer 2015, and they're just making the announcement that it's happening at all. Um, and, you know, the game is months away. We was also in kind of this weird spot where... You know, the lineup for this year isn't particularly special. Their holiday game is a Star mm-hmm. Fox game. Like, when has that ever happened? Um, and it, and people are, are speculating that NX is going to be out sometime next year, so this that would make this kind of the swan song period for, for Wii U. And so I guess it kind of makes sense to me that they'd stretch out the games that they've already been developing for some time over the next, you know, 12 yeah, months Yeah, maybe, so. but I, I would have expected that they would either put it in this holiday season because their lineup is so weak or uh, extend. We previously talked about maybe launching it alongside the NX, giving it that extra publicity boost, which I still think uh, would have been a good idea. I mean, you know, it makes perfect sense that it's coming to Wii U, but... Uh, it's it's just a very weird time window, I think. Well, another thing to consider is I'm not a avid fan of the Tekken series or anything, but from what I understand is that's pretty much par for the course with uh, Bandai Namco for Tekken, is that they release it first as a Japan arcade exclusive, and then after it catches on, they release it worldwide on consoles. Mm. Nintendo has described their upcoming quality of life devices as a new pillar for their business alongside uh, home gaming and, and handheld gaming. But there are some analysts in the industry who believe that this has changed. The first QOL device is supposed to launch by March of next year, but IDC Research Director Lewis Ward believes that these plans have been pushed to the back burner in favor of their mobile game plans. While Wedbush Securities Analyst Michael Pachter thinks that they have been cancelled altogether due to poor hardware sales. Nintendo, of course, has said nothing of the subject, but that's precisely why these people believe that QOL has been deprioritized, because... If it's coming in March, I mean, it's you wouldn't expect them to, to be so silent. Yeah, I'm. I kind of lean towards uh, Lewis Ward's opinion that they've been these plans have been delayed yeah. in order to uh, make way for mobile games, and especially because this really seemed like it was uh, Satoru Iwata's baby. It was his project, and you know, with his mm-hmm. passing, I'm sure there's you know maybe some changes that have to be made in their plans. But um, I don't think there's any reason to believe they've been canceled altogether because just pretty recently we saw a patent surface for the, one of their devices. And then also in uh, one of Nintendo's recent reports, it actually contained a message written by Iwata for his passing in which he talked about the quality of life business. So, I mean, you know, I could understand them, you know, maybe publishing something like that just in his mm-hmm. honor, but you would think if they had, if, if the plans have been canceled, that they wouldn't have included that section about quality of life. Yeah. I mean, my personal hunch is that it's not really about mobile necessarily, but it's more about repairing their core business uh, before they work on these new market pushes. Because uh, any healthy company, they need to have their, their core moneymaker before they can really put a lot of effort into other areas. And with, you know, with the Wii U situation and the 3DS situation getting to the point that they are, um, and, and certainly they weren't a, quite even this bad when we first heard about the quality of life stuff um the priority really needs to be on fixing what's going on with their hardware and software lines um although now that nx is is 
you know, slated to be discussed next year. Hopefully they've done a lot of that work already. Mm -hmm. We may finally have some more clues about the NX, by the way, uh, seeing as Nintendo has filed several interesting patents. One patent is for a home gaming console that doesn't use game discs, instead opting for a combination of cards like the DS and 3DS families use, uh, as well as SD cards, and digital distribution. Meanwhile, they've filed another patent for a home console that doesn't include an internal hard drive. There's a boatload to draw from this, which we'll get to in a second, but first I just want to remind you that while patents can speak volumes to their hardware plans, they do not necessarily mean anything. Um, we're going to assume that they do for the sake of discussion and because this kind of concept fits really well with a lot of their other recent moves, but do keep that in mind. Yeah, and when you say recent moves, I, mean, I assume you're talking about where, where Satoru Iwata said we might see multiple form factors, uh, yeah. where we might see different consoles for different... And a brand different... new concept, yeah. you know, different markets. Different markets, you know, different yeah. Different hardware for different audiences, exactly. Yeah, like... Um, in particular, the different markets thing stuck out to me when I first read about this because we've heard uh, a lot about Japan having sort of different consumption habits than the West where they're not necessarily as on board with uh, eShop-style distribution models. Uh, I mean, a lot of that's been changing lately uh, and, and will probably continue to change. But, you know, we could see a system where they use primarily download cards that you scan in and they download, and it'd still be digital, but it would be... You know, a different delivery method than just through the eShop. Uh, and and a console that doesn't have a disk drive might be a hit in Japan, too, because Japan likes low-power consumption devices, and optical drives take a lot of power because they've got to spin the disk constantly. And So there's a lot of reasons why this makes sense, given what we've heard recently and what we've seen them do with their recent hardware. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can't see a... Uh... A console without a disk drive selling well in the West, but I hadn't even, you know, considered that that was a format that maybe Japan would be more receptive to. What I'm interested in is the idea of potentially a console that's just digital and or using uh, like cards or cartridges instead of discs, because I mean, honestly, they're harder to break. They don't get scratched. You'd have faster loading times. Like there's a lot of positives there. You know, obviously the, the industry switched over to discs in the nineties because at the time it was you know, you could do a lot more with them, but we're to the point now where, you know, you can get faster loading times and you can store more on cards, but, you know, there's there's extra costs there, and that's probably why we haven't seen them move back towards that. Any, you know, major video game company move back towards uh, cartridges on home consoles, at least, but we've seen them do it on handhelds, so, you know, obviously the mm -hmm. DS and 3DS both use cartridges, so I would be very open to a, a home-based console, or a home console that's, you know, card-based again instead of disc-based. Right, well, the other interesting thing is perhaps this is a move for the NX. I mean, we've seen, I mean, obviously it's a move for the NX, but <laughs> perhaps, we, you know, we've been hearing a lot about sort of this, this idea that they're merging their handheld and their console uh, platforms into this one sort of cross-compatible platform uh, called NX or whatever the code name turns into. But, you know, if, if they're using this sort of cartridge format, that could imply that it is a home console that is using the same kind of game cards as the DS family and the 3DS family. And, and it's an evolution of those systems in that sense. But also you plug it into the, the home console and you, you, you basically play the exact same games right down to the physical copies of them, either at home or on the go. Yeah. And maybe that's, maybe that's how they're going to do their software. Uh, maybe they will release a form factor of NX that is purely a handheld and one that is purely a home console, and that's how they'll be cross-compatible, is you can just bring your game from one or the other uh, to the other and then play them that way. Yeah, and even if, for example, it, 
they have a model that does have an optical drive, it could be that some games are home console only, and so those are the games that get the optical disc releases. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of flexibility that using cards gives them. And I think, uh, you know, with the greater sales opportunity for developers who would be hitting users of more than one platform now instead of just yeah. one, that might actually justify the additional costs of developing cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the concern I'll have there is if, you know, Nintendo releases multiple different devices that, you know, have some games cross-compatible and some games not cross-compatible, you know, that's that's going to be tricky marketing. So if that is, you know, there's there's a lot of benefits to that, and it sounds like a great concept, but... Nintendo's going to have to be real careful about making sure that the the public is aware of how this intricate system works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd hope it's easy enough that, for example, all handheld games can be played across both because the processing power certainly shouldn't be the, the barrier. Right. Um, and then that would make sort of communicating the console-only games a little bit simpler because that would be the only real variable. Um, but, I mean, we don't really have any idea how it'll turn out. We could just speculate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of other factors, including, like, digital distribution, you know, how a game might be cross-compatible if you buy it on one platform versus another. Um, they may do cloud saves or something like that. They may tie it to your account instead of your console. But given that it's Nintendo, I'm kind of doubtful about either of those things. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. Well, we'll see and there's user do. interface concerns, too, because a handheld could have a completely different interface than a console. Uh, would... Well, if they say they want to build the same OS across multiple platforms, which they've said multiple times... Um, I, I don't know that that would necessarily be true, but it is it is true that that is a possibility. Yeah. In addition to the two patents we just discussed, uh, they also filed another handful of patents that surfaced last week. Um, one of them involves in-game voice and audio chat using a device like a gamepad. I mean, there's a lot of different stuff. Uh, some of it has sort of been implemented already with what they're doing with Wii U and 3DS. Uh, some of it has been fully implemented already. But, you know, there, there's also potential that that it is counting towards an X and that it's taking things a step further. If you want to check them out, go ahead. Um, we have a great article on Gamnesia about them. Less optimistically, uh, police have thwarted a plot to commit horrible mass violence at the Pokemon World Championships in Boston on Friday. Uh, two men from Iowa were making threats regarding the championships on Facebook, posting pictures of heavy weaponry alongside messages about attending the event. Police recognized and apprehended the two suspects when they arrived at the championships, and they went on to find a hunting knife, shotgun, assault rifle, and several hundred rounds of ammunition in the trunk of their car. Uh, The two men, aged 18 and 27, have been charged with several weapons-related crimes, including the unlawful possession of these guns. They remain under investigation, but uh, the Pokemon World Championships was safe. Uh, Everyone at the event was safe. Uh, The police thankfully managed to catch these people, so... Yeah, I mean, all I have to say really is that it's it's horrible that you're seeing an escalation of these kinds of threats around gaming-related things. Like, like developers have gotten death threats, game critics have gotten death threats, and now, you know, events where people are just going to have fun, the, the, there are mass violence threats. Right, it, you know, it's it's completely, uh, it's not instigated by anything, it's, it's just a, a threat of violence for violence's sake. It's not like they have a grudge against the entire Pokemon community. It, it, but, it, but it's video gaming, you know? Right. It's yeah, supposed to be a safe space. innocent fun. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But let's brighten things up, though, with our last story of the week. Um, the international marketing director of the Pokemon company was asked to give a cryptic word to tease something in the series' future. And he chose the word flowers. It's a tiny tidbit, but people have been speculating everything from the eternal flower form of Floette, which hasn't been released, uh, to flower-type Pokemon in Generation 7. What do you guys think? 
God, I hope it's not flower types. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope it's not a new type. I don't think it'll also. be flower. I would be open to a new type. But I mean, not they already a have grass type. type. Right. Uh, I think they're replacing Pikachu as the mascot. You think? Yeah, all about Sunflora. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sunflores versus Gastly's? Sunflora, is that... Plants uh, versus Zombies? Uh, oh! Oh! <laughs> Although it'd really be like Bell Sprout versus anyway. I'm pretty sure there's got to be a zombie Pokemon. I mean, there's like Spirit Pokemon's and stuff. Parasect. Oh yeah, I guess that counts. But although Parasect is also a plant, so and a bug. Well, he's Yikes. a spore, <laughs> though. So not really. Whatever. He's a grass type. It counts. Um. Anyway, as always, to conclude the news segment of this week's show, we're bringing you a lightning round with little nuggets of information. If you want to read more about any of the stories we discussed above or anything you hear about in the upcoming lightning round, you can check them out at Gamnesia.com. The latest podcast episode will show up in the scrolling feature bar at the top of the site, and on that page you'll see all these links. First, we've got some upcoming dates to look out for, as well as recent releases. Wario Master of Disguise and Advance Wars 2 are now available on the Wii U Virtual Console. Unfortunately, Wario is only available in Europe and has not yet been confirmed for the US. Uh, also, a new map called Flounder Heights is now available in Splatoon. This weekend marks Splatoon's next Splatfest, which we talked about earlier in the episode. They each run for 24 hours, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time on Friday night for North America, and I believe 9 p.m. Uh, Greenwich Mean Time for Europe. I could be totally wrong about that. If you live in Europe and you want to know, you can look up the times. Uh, we have it on the site. August 30th, the Nintendo 2DS is getting a price cut to just $99. August 31st, Versus Excitebike is coming to the Wii U Virtual Console. Versus Excitebike is a version of Excitebike that has a level editor. Uh, Nintendo's releasing this as part of this thing called Builder's Week, which is leading up to the release of Versus Excitebike. What exactly Builder's Week means, they still haven't really said, but there you go. September 11th, Super Mario Maker launches for Wii U along several amiibo. And on November 6th, Yo-Kai Watch launches in North America. In addition, Nintendo has shared a full release schedule for all their holiday products, uh, including a ton of new amiibo and a bunch of games. Um, so we've got like Mewtwo, Falco, Star Fox Zero. Um, you can check all those release dates out at Gamnesia if you want to get a good look now, but we'll also be putting these dates in future lightning rounds for you as they approach. And then a few general facts from last week and reminders for you. Smashified shows us how Isaac would look in Super Smash Bros. Recent discoveries suggest Geno will be playable in the popular Smash Bros. mod Project M alongside Lynn, Isaac, and Knuckles. Another awesome mod brings Cloud and Sephiroth to Super Smash Bros. Brawl. Super Mario Maker's title screen is packed with Easter eggs, which you can see at Gamnesia. Nintendo has released parts 2 and 3 of the Super Mario Maker Hackathon series, which has now come to a close. They've also made an exciting commercial for Super Mario Maker, bringing Mario's worlds into a mix of live action and CGI, and it looks really cool. The Super Mario Maker Wii U bundle will be exclusive to Walmart in North America. The official website for Animal Crossing Happy Home Designer is now open. Happy Home Designer is the best-selling game in Japan for three weeks running now. And you can pre-order a bundle of Happy Home Designer with the 3DS's NFC reader on Amazon if you are someone who has not upgraded to the new 3DS and still want to play uh, with all the amiibo functionality in Happy Home Designer. Several rare amiibo are being restocked in North America. Nintendo is also making a Mega Yarn Yoshi amiibo, which launches on November 15th. It is very tall. Um, there's a rumor that GameStop won't take pre-orders for the next wave of amiibo. The Dr. Mario amiibo is exclusive to Target in the US. I believe also the Bowser Jr. one is exclusive to Toys R Us. Chibi-Robo Ziplash supports every single amiibo, sort of like Hyrule Warriors. Wii U has hit 2.5 million sales in Japan. Nintendo's stock dropped 8% following a market crash in China. 
Splatoon is $5 off on Amazon and $10 off for Amazon Prime members. The Nintendo eShop is holding a week-long sale on Capcom games. A new Miiverse update has made sharing and filtering content much easier. A recent episode of Rick and Morty has a funny gag about the limited edition Majora's Mask 3DS. Oh, wow, I was shocked. Were you expecting me to yell what love a dub dub? Yes, I was. I mean, I could still do it. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, fan Project puts Metroid Prime in Unreal Engine 4, and it looks stunning. Fatal Frame, Maiden of Blackwater, will be a free-to-start eShop exclusive in North America. And wow, this was a long lightning round, but we're finally at the end with Pokemon Reorchestrated, which arranges incredible orchestral versions of Pokemon music, is working on a collection of music from the Johto games. Uh, you can enjoy part of the latest single as this week's break and outro music for Nintendo Week. And if you like it, be sure to check it out on iTunes, Spotify, Louder, YouTube. Uh, there's a ton of music already available, including an entire album reorchestrating the complete soundtrack from Red and Blue. So that marks the end of this week's news segment. We are going to take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to give you our recommendations for awesome non-Nintendo games that we think you will love. Stick around. Hello, everybody. We are back with more Nintendo Week. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and I'm joined, as always, by Alex Plant. Apparently straight out of Compton. And Ben Limoreau. Very much not straight out of Compton. Uh, <laughs> so we're going a little off the rails for this week's discussion. We are going to talk about non-Nintendo games that we think you guys, as fellow Nintendo fans, would love. I think for the most part, we're going to try to avoid games like Mega Man and Shovel Knight, which are pretty well ingrained into the Nintendo fan community, but we'll see where... Where the moment takes us. Um, just to clarify, though, it's it's nin games that Nintendo did not make. So I guess I'll go first. Uh, this is going to be a bit of a story because I really love this game. <laughs> um, but my first pick is Journey for PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4. Oh. I actually just downloaded this like last week as a birthday present to myself. Uh, I've been curious <laughs> for a long time to see what the hype was all about. Uh, but I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Since the only thing I'd really heard is that the premise is that you're turned loose in this tranquil uh mostly kind of empty world to explore and your only objective is to get to the mountain in the distance uh and you can meet random strangers online but can't really communicate with them uh you can communicate through dance yeah you can do like this yeah cool, like light up thing well which is I've also played you it know, now, stripping so. away all of the nuances of communication let and just me explain it it's really cool oh, okay I, sorry i was making a joke but go on <laughs> no that is it's true <laughs> partially i'm telling a story okay 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 so what i got out of journey though feels like the kind of game i imagine nintendo would make as one of their first forays into kind of those loosely connected online adventures uh just because of how thoughtful and really well done the online feature is um having now finished journey it's easily the most emotional game i think i've ever played that's because you haven't played mother three see i would agree with you're you. gonna be wrong i'm i promise <laughs> I've played Journey. You're still going to be wrong. It's a game I finished in less than two hours, and I still feel that way. Um, it's really nothing about the story. I mean, the story is told through hieroglyphs, which is interesting, and they really pump you up with the music, which is kind of neat. 
but it's the journey itself that really makes the adventure, um, especially once you start interacting with other players. Uh, I developed a really special bond with this guy or girl or I don't know. Uh, that someone I wound in a up, red cloak. Someone <laughs> uh, who I wound up actually finishing the game with. Um, so as Colin was starting to explain... The only major actions you can take in Journey are to jump and kind of fly, which uses up your energy, and to call out and, and dance, which, which activates certain objects in the game and is really your only way to communicate with other players. Um, there's, a, there's a nifty mechanic where when you're playing with another person, you can charge up your character's voice and then release a burst of sound that sort of seems to recharge your friend's jumping energy. So as you travel together, you can kind of give each other a boost. Uh, so me and my friend were constantly kind of yelling at each other to power each other up and letting out these little small chirps to kind of keep each other entertained as we were wandering. Um, at certain points in the game, you run into enemies that can damage you, and if they hurt you, they'll permanently take away parts of your energy. Um, and because this person and I had kind of gotten so close as we journeyed, we wanted to stick together. Uh, so we had to really carefully coordinate to get past the enemies, you know, and w- without being able to talk to each other, that was kind of tricky. Uh, and you can't always see each other on camera, uh, so sometimes you'll lose each other, but... You know, we felt really compelled to, to meet up again before moving on, even though it was kind of dangerous. Yeah. Um, but what really hit me was there's a certain point in the game, and I won't describe it in too much detail, but there's this huge sense of oppressive hopelessness. Like, I really thought my friend, who had lost some health against one of the enemies earlier, uh, was going to die. So I wanted to stay with them until the very end, you know, no matter what, what, what happened. But after a while, I began to notice that I was dying too. And I hadn't even really noticed because I was so worried about my friend. <laughs> and that's a sense of closeness that I haven't gotten from a cooperative game, any other cooperative game. You know, I was at the point of tears, actually. And my wife, who had been sitting next to me and had only really been watching for a few minutes, was also at the point of tears. Oh, I thought you were going to say she was making fun of you. <laughs> no, she she just watched me interact with this person for a few minutes. And then we got to this part <laughs> and she was like, oh, my God, he's going to die. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and, and on top of that emotionalness, it's this really beautiful game, um, beautiful art style, really moody music, uh, which really kind of amps up the whole emotional attachment. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack is phenomenal. That was nominated for a Grammy, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, even out of context, it's it's, yeah. it's amazing. But yeah, great choice. Journey. I mean, I, I hadn't really thought about Journey because I, I don't see it. I was thinking of my list uh, more as like games that are very demonstrably connected to Nintendo uh, in, in like, inspiration and whatnot. But you're absolutely right that, that Journey is just a, a fantastic game. Um, really, really emotive. Um, yeah, I think I was in tears by the end, too. I can't remember because it was a long time ago when I played. But, uh, yeah, really incredible experience. Everyone should play it, not just Nintendo fans. But, but Nintendo fans will also love it just because... Yeah, I pick it specifically for for Nintendo Week because, you know, having just played Splatoon and seen how interesting an online experience that is and how very uniquely Nintendo it is, I played Journey and I was like, this feels like the kind of online game Nintendo would have the audacity to make. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just because it's so different in terms of how you interact with your fellow players. Right, right. Well, great choice. Yeah. Thanks. All right, so uh, my first game up, it's... It's it's very Nintendo in a lot of ways, and it's actually it's available on Wii U now. But I played it on PC quite a while ago. Um, you may have seen it on the eShop. It's a little title called It'll Do. Uh, okay. Like it'll spelled like little, but with no L, and then do is D E W. So it's just kind of a little play on words. But um, it's 
it actually started as like a uh i don't know if it was actually a rom hack or if just very made to look very similar to it but it started as basically a new take on the original zelda game but all puzzle based instead of like combat based uh just a long time ago and then eventually that was scrapped and it it resurfaced with sort of like a cartoony graphic style but it's it's very much like a a puzzle based zelda game you know you go through little dungeon areas and and solve puzzles and there's only like four items in the game but you can use them in a lot of different ways like interacting with the enemies and sort of using the enemies as as puzzle solving tools and uh the story's pretty simple. It's been a while since I played it, but I believe you're just shipwrecked and you're like looking for treasure or something. But uh, every character you interact with just has some sort of like witty banter to say, and you know it's it's kind of like um, Earthbound, where I just caught myself smiling like all the time, just like all the stupid things the characters in the game said, and all the puzzles have like shortcuts in them. So it's actually a game that you can speed run as well because, you know, there's there's the obvious way to solve the puzzle and then maybe some less obvious ways and then maybe some really tricky ways that can actually save you a lot of time and let you just sort of speed through the game. So, Ben, is this game the best way you could possibly spend an afternoon? Um, <laughs> no, but it'll do. <laughs> um, oh, man. <laughs> saw it coming from a mile away. I know. <laughs> Um, so my first non-Nintendo game that Nintendo fans would love is Banjo-Kazooie. That's cheating. <laughs> I just need to rub salt in, in the collective wounds of everyone here. Um, no, it's 3D Dot Game Heroes, going off on the, uh, the Zelda theme a little bit. Um, 3D Dot Game Heroes is a game by Atlas. It is exclusive to PS3, but I'm not sure why. It would work brilliantly on the Wii U, uh, just given that it's basically a Zelda clone, and uh, there's this whole... Uh, character editor aspect to it where you are creating your like pixel spritey guy but the whole thing about 3d dot game heroes is it's a pixel aesthetic but it's it's all done in 3d all the character models are in 3d they're all constructed out of blocks but they're you know it's still a very 3d game uh, it's really cool it really brings the the nes sort of graphical style to life in like a 3d environment um I remember when I first got it, I spent like three hours perfecting a 3D model of Link that looked exactly like the uh, sprite from the original Zelda. And, you know, from no matter what angle you looked at it, it looked just like the sprite, and but it was still in 3D. Um, it was really, really cool. Um, so you can spend all sorts of time doing stuff like that with your characters, but then also it's a, just a really, really great Zelda-inspired experience. Um, you've got this great overworld. Uh, the music is incredible. Great throwback to, like, the NES that's also... Feels like it's a modern day thing. Uh, it's got like a blend of orchestral instruments and chip tunes and stuff, uh, all in the same pieces in the soundtrack. Um, but you know, it, it's like a classic sort of Zelda-inspired experience. You've got the the dungeons. Um, they they work exactly like you'd expect them to. Uh, it's just a really really great game. Uh, probably one of the best Zelda-inspired games I think I've ever played, and it's it's really awesome. So I've never played 3D Rock Game Heroes, but a question I've always wanted to have answered is. How do the mechanics stack up? Uh, against Zelda? Against Zelda. And that, that can be either classic Zelda or three, modern 3D Zelda, like, whatever. Um, I mean, fine. Fine. I, I fine. wouldn't say, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that they stack up noticeably better or worse. It's, I mean, it, probably a little better. Definitely better than, like, the old, old classic Zelda. Sure. At least in terms of how the game feels to play. Sure. Um, probably less clunky is what you mean. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. Okay. But um, 
I mean, comparing it to like modern 3D Zeldas, I mean, that's like impossible. Yeah, because I ask because mechanics are this really important thing for me, especially when I'm playing Mm -hmm. games that people say are Nintendo-like. Right, and then they they sort of mimic the aesthetic, but they don't actually feel like you're playing a Nintendo game. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Because I played a lot of like 2D platformers that have come out lately, and a lot of indie ones in particular, and and often they feel floaty, and that's just not what I want out of a 2D platformer, and so, so... so yeah, it, it's good. So that, what you're saying is you don't like new Super Mario Bros. Exactly, um, <laughs> but, it's, but it but it's good that you kind of have given it your sort of your ringing endorsement. Yeah, Yay. I mean, it, yeah, it's good, awesome game. <laughs> I might play it. I might add it to my PS3 backlog. So while we're talking about games that remind us of Zelda games, I'm going to kind of string this along a little bit and see if people guess what games I'm getting at. So as many of you might know, I am a huge Legend of Zelda fan, and in particular, in recent years, I've come to have a strong appreciation for the classics, classic games uh, because they're sort of pure adventure games that weren't bogged down with trying to stick to or deviate from uh, series conventions like puzzles and, and mm-hmm. the way items are used and things like now, that. Now, when you say classic games, where do you end it? Uh, up to... Link's Awakening and or Ocarina of Time era when you started to see okay. sort of those those shifts. Uh, cause so you are you including those two games? I'm including those two games, As classic? Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, basically, uh, until the point where Alex they stepped into Majora's 3D. Alex Mask is what he's saying. <laughs> he, he didn't put it in his top five anymore. <laughs> no, I, it got booted. Sorry to say Majora's Mask. Anyway, they, anyway, were, they, weren't, they weren't really focused on series conventions. They were more focused on being like the best action-adventure mm-hmm. RPG sort of type experiences out there. Right. Uh, and that's really what gave the series its popularity at first. One thing in particular that I noticed as I've been playing them lately, since most of them I didn't play till recently, is they're hard, especially the ones mm-hmm. on NES. Like, it can be hard just to survive through the enemies in the overworld, much less the like more dangerous ones you find in the dungeons. Um, but it seems like recent Zelda games have become easier and easier and easier. Are you talking about the Binding of Isaac? No. Okay. <laughs> You'll see. There's been, there's been less focus on enemies, and with that, there's been less focus on finding better gear to power yourself up, uh, getting stronger magics to fight off enemies, and a uh, more streamlined overworld and more collect-a-thon elements. But then you have a game like Dark Souls and Demon Souls, which focuses... A lot on the combat, a lot on getting better gear to power yourself up, a lot on getting better magic to make yourself able to survive uh, against the enemies that you're finding. And it's a game that, despite not really being like Zelda, modern Zelda games, it doesn't have a lot of puzzles, it doesn't have a lot of story and plot. Um, it controls a lot like them, though. You Are, is is Dark Souls and Demon Souls your that is my that is my recommendation. Oh, okay, okay. You said you were gonna lead us on, so I was like waiting for. Wait a minute. It sounds like he's just talking about his game now. Oh yeah, that's my game. Um, yeah. Okay. Oh, anyway, missed the transition. <laughs> I'm trying to be subtle, like like the Souls games are subtle. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, they control a lot like the Zelda games, though, despite having a lot of differences. Uh, you walk around in 3D environments, you can target enemies in much the same way you Z-target. Uh, you attack them with swords and bows and bombs and other weapons. Uh, you can block with shields or roll out of the way. But, you know, they don't have the same priorities that modern Zelda games do. They're focused on this oppressive game world with challenging enemies around every corner. Meanwhile, the exploration is still pretty strong. Um, there's still maze-like dungeons. The bosses are still really tough and, and interesting. And because they haven't shoved out the RPG combat mechanics and the character growth stuff, you know, combat's the center of the game. So everything you see and do revolves around more powerful weapons, more powerful abilities, more powerful foes. 
so if you've ever felt like the Zelda games have become a bit too easy, and if you're a fan of the classics and you love sort of how difficult they are and how oppressive they are, uh, I recommend you try out the Souls games. Uh, they really hit that fantasy combat itch that maybe might have been missing from recent Zelda games for some people. Um, personally, I'd love to see a, a Zelda game sort of skew a little bit more in that direction from a combat perspective. I mean, I don't want a grimdark world. I don't want this, like, really, really dark story. I don't want depressing characters. Uh, while, at the same time, keeping the vaster world that Zelda games are known for. That would be my ideal Zelda game. But for now, I'll play the Souls games for their fantasy combat. Awesome. Another great choice. So my next one is uh, a game I've mentioned slash ranted about fanboyishly on here a few times. <laughs> um, and that is Axiom Verge, which <gasps> is my favorite Metroid game. Okay. Um, so let's, we'll, we'll get off the, uh, the Zelda clones here and get onto a Metroid clone here. Obviously, the, uh, the gameplay style is, you know, very Metroidvania. You get this huge world to explore and it's divided into different regions and everything but uh you know it mixes it with other styles too you know you get uh, a feel of a lot of like uh old action shooters like contra or games like that because you still use your items in puzzle solving like you would in metroid but maybe like a third of them and the rest of them are just all kinds of crazy different weapons weapons that shoots huge blasts or just little blasts there's heat seeking ones there's laser beams and bombs and just all kinds of things and most of them are completely optional so it, it's fun for me because it uh it makes the exploration really rewarding because when you find a new gun it's not just oh i need this to open the door and go to that room before it can just be like oh my god this is this awesome weapon let me try this out on new enemies and I've 100 percented the game, and I've shown it to, like, a bunch of my friends and stuff, and as I watch them play it, you know, I'll see them use a completely different strategy than I used against a boss or against a, a hard enemy or, you know, whatever, just because with all these different weapons, you have so much freedom to just, like, figure out how you want to play it. So it takes on a lot more of, like, an action shooter role than just a Metroid role. But I also think it, you know, does the Metroid style better than most Metroid games, <laughs> and it has an incredible soundtrack like i i love it i mm, i could just listen to that all day long <laughs> um, and the 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 art's great like the backgrounds are incredibly detailed when i play it you can just look and just see like layer after layer after layer so it's designed to look like a classic um not not quite 8-bit game it's it's a little closer to like the 16-bit style I, he said uh tom half the developer was going for more of like a sega genesis look so 16-bit, but maybe not quite like the polish of a Super Nintendo. Right. But uh, at the same time, there's a lot of, you know, extra added graphical effects that you absolutely couldn't do on that 16-bit hardware that just make the game look beautiful and alive. And it is my favorite game of 2015 so far. But granted, I haven't played too many games this year, but Axiom Verge <laughs> is definitely at the top. And that awesome. is, is, he's teased that it could come to Wii U next year. So that's not a for sure thing, but... Right now, it's only on you know, PlayStation platforms and PC, but it could be coming to Wii U. Well, uh, my next choice... Uh, well, I guess I'll, I'll throw a couple out here, because I don't really have a whole lot to say about them. First up is Okami, which I haven't actually played myself, but I've heard incredible things about, and I know it's heavily inspired by Zelda, but takes a, a very different uh, approach in terms of its aesthetics, in terms of its sort of its setting, its world. Uh, very visually different. But, you know, I've, I've heard it's an incredible Zelda-style game, so want to make sure you guys know that Okami is out there, and it's beautiful. 
I'll just add a quick note. Having played Okami, uh, the one thing that I'd, I'd caution people to be aware of as they're going in is it's a very dialogue-heavy game. So just be prepared for that. Other than that, it very do does very much resemble Zelda games in terms of the way its uh, overworld and, and dungeons are kind of laid out. Uh, so if it, it's definitely a good complement to your Zelda experience. So it's got the overworld and dungeons of the earlier Zelda games, but the dialogue of Skyward Sword. Um, yeah, think about <laughs> that Skyward Sword, except for multiplied by about ten times. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, next, though, is Super Meat Boy, which is, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure you've heard a lot about it. But, you know, it's a very kinetic, fast-paced, very challenging 2D platformer. Uh, it feels great to play. So, you know, what we were talking about a little earlier with, like... Uh, mechanics uh, that, that Alex was mentioning. This feels very much like a really great, really tight, nicely polished, up to Nintendo quality game. And, you know, obviously 2D action platformers. Like, it's a lot of fun, uh, fast-paced, exciting, awesome game. You know, I was just watching some videos of, uh, like, Super Mario Maker footage the other day, and I saw, like, giant spinning spike wheels of death. And I just thought, oh, man, oh, yeah. there's going to be so many, like, Super Meat Boy, Super Meat Boy-style levels made in this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and then finally, Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing, uh, either that or Racing Transformed, both really great games. They're obviously like heavily inspired by Mario Kart, but they're crossover games in the kind of way we've talked before about like how cool it would be to have like a sort of Super Smash Kart. Um, and, you know, in the past, we also did like our character crossover discussion for the Mario Kart 8 DLC. Um, but that's what Sega and All-Stars Racing is. It's it's like a huge Sega crossover. The races take place in all these different game worlds. Uh, the items are drawn from various different games. A lot of them are also made up, too, which is, eh. But, you know, yeah. there are a lot of great settings. They do what I, they do really, really well. Uh, the one thing that I have a big beef with against Mario Kart, uh, actually two things, the roster, really well done in the Sonic and Sega games. Um, but also the tracks are drawn from directly from in-game locations from other games. Whereas a lot of the time in Mario Kart, they'll give it a Mario flavor, but the tracks are the tracks and locations are completely made up. But these ones take stuff like I'm not hugely involved in in Sega lore, so I don't remember the names of any of them. But uh, like the 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 ship base from Sonic Adventure Two, um, really cool stuff from from Skies of Arcadia. The town from from Jet Set Radio, they they put you right in there. It's really really cool, um, really awesome game. Does a lot of things really well that Mario Kart sort of flounders on. All in all, I still think Mario Kart's better, but Sonic and Sega, super super fun, and also sort of an interesting look at a different take on what's done well and what's done not well in Mario Kart. Yep. And if, if you were hoping you'd get a single-player campaign in Mario Kart 8, there's a really, really good one in Racing Transform. Yes, that's um, true. Really diverse one, too. There's some interesting challenges uh, that I wouldn't have mm -hmm. expected. And you can play as Wreck-It Ralph. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Although I don't think it... they have John C. Riley as the voice actor, so he sounds really weird. And, like, they didn't animate him well. Don't play as Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> you can, but don't. <laughs> but, do but appreciate that he's there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm with you on the items, actually. I, I was hoping they'd all be very, like, Sega-y themed, but then they didn't wind mm -hmm. up being, and that, that was really jarring to me coming off of Mario Kart, where the items yeah. are very, like, strongly Mario. Um, right. But but other than that, it's a it's a fantastic car racer. Yeah. So, Alex, I think you said you don't have any more? Yeah, those are my those are the two okay. that are on my mind. I mean, I've certainly played a, a more than just these, but... But right. these are the ones that I think are very time and place for, mm -hmm. for where Nintendo's at right now. Yeah, no, I mean, great choices.
Uh, ben, you got anything else? Uh, yeah, nothing that I can really, you know, talk about as much as the previous two, but right. one of the games I played a lot as a kid was Rocket Knight Adventures on Sega Genesis. So okay. that was like a 2D action platformer game where you play as a possum that wears like a jetpack. So, <laughs> I mean, awesome. And you fight against like pigs that have like giant robot machines and stuff. You go into outer space. It's uh, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, it, was, it was really hard, but uh, I was pretty young when I had a Sega Genesis. So it was one of the like few hard games that I could sort of play and like progress mm -hmm. in. And it's pretty fun. I still mm -hmm. go back and play it every now and then as an adult and I'm still not super good at it, but cool cool it's a it's a fun action platformer nice um well my final game uh, just like that i don't have a whole lot to say about it um because it's not out yet is yokai watch which has done hugely well in japan uh like it is a massive cultural phenomenon over there um i played the demo of it at a3 and i can say the gameplay was really good really satisfying really cool but what i think yokai watch does really well is it sort of recaptures for the modern era a lot of what the magic of pokemon was back in its earlier days in late, particularly late generations one and two right yeah. um because i mean a lot of you know pokemon now still has a lot of great things going for it but mechanically um unless you're involved in the competitive battling scene which the vast majority of Pokemon players are not. Mechanically, it's exactly the same as it was in almost every way. Um, you know, you, you, you can use TMs more than once, but that's otherwise the only non-battle mechanic that yeah. has really evolved much. And, and the brand power has kind of weakened over time. I mean, it's certainly not that... Well, I think that's sort of a result of... of I mean, I mean, obviously just brands weaken over time. That's just a fact. But I think that's partially a result of, of some of the uh, more battle-oriented changes to the gameplay and, and a stagnation in, in every other way. Yeah, I guess I'd agree with you. But, but it, it, sort of, it sort of recaptures the same kind of magic that the original few did in that what if we're living in the exact same world we are now, but it just has all these whimsical creatures around it, it's just this Do sort of touch of fantasy. creatures in your world? Well, I mean, like, my dog is here, but he's just, like, <laughs> has fur, and that's not really that special. <laughs> um, but it's like this sort of touch of fantasy, but still in this, in this very present real world. And I think that's something that's really cool. That's sort of what captured my imagination about Pokemon earlier on. Um, now that the Pokemon designs are getting really over the top, and there are so many legendaries, and the stories just go totally off the wall, which isn't a bad thing. It's just, it's, it's lost that flavor uh, that it had at the outset that really captured me personally. And Yokai Watch has that flavor. So if you're a fan, particularly if you're like a Gen 1-er or someone who like doesn't really like the newer generations as much as the older ones, you might be interested in Yokai Watch. They also visually, I think, really nail exactly what Pokemon should look like on the 3DS. Oh yeah, that game um, looked and absolutely doesn't. gorgeous at E3. Yeah. I remember I looked at you, Khan, I was like, wow. This is way better looking than Pokemon. What's this <laughs> yeah, right? Game Freak's excuse here? I know. Everything I mean, the... was so smooth and polished and just like, it, it just yeah. looked like it was straight, you know, out of it an anime. It looked so basically. vibrant. And I was, I was shocked. Like, you know, why, why can't Game Freak do this with their textures for, for the Pokemon world? I mean, there's just so much life in there that isn't present in the Pokemon games of late and, and used to be present in, in older Pokemon games. And maybe that's because of graphical limitations. Uh, they just got more creative. I don't know, but well, either way. I, really I would. I feel like Pokemon games, while they weren't like absolutely bleeding edge, they were still pretty, pretty powerful handheld games. And I think we talked yeah, about this sure. a couple episodes ago. 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of the issue with it now is they wanted to sort of nail the battling aesthetic, but yeah. the battling aesthetic was just more than the 3DS could handle. So they really pushed trying to get all those battling scenes down really, really nicely, and that sort of dragged down the rest of the experience visually as a result because um, they didn't want the rest of the experience to look radically different from the sort of more basic uh, kinds of battling sequences. Uh, and we still had huge frame rate drops during battles. Yeah. yeah. It, well, exactly. I mean, that's exactly, you know, that's a perfect sign of, of why I think that was a mistake. Um, but either way, I don't want to turn this into a Pokemon discussion because this is about non-Nintendo games. Uh, Yokai Watch is great. If you like Pokemon, you should totally check it out. Um, I, one more recommendation just occurred to me while we were okay. chatting about Yokai Watch. So, uh, many of, as many of you know, I am a huge Xenoblade Chronicles fan, and if you haven't played the game that many people compare Xenoblade Chronicles to, which is Final Fantasy XII, it is probably my favorite Final Fantasy game. Um, it plays a lot like Xenoblade in that you ha wander around a field and there are no random battles. You see enemies, you approach them, you battle them in pseudo-real time where you'll have to wait for moves to charge up. Um, but if you can't really get into the world and battle system of Xenoblade Chronicles, the world of Final Fantasy XII is amazing. Uh, Ivalice is probably the most fleshed-out setting in the Final Fantasy canon, um, and particularly the way it's presented in Final Fantasy XII. And I know a lot of people are really attached to the sort of rule set that underpins Final Fantasy with the, you know, elemental magics and white magic and, and all those other things. So if you love those things and you sort of want to love Xenoblade Chronicles but maybe don't or, or would like to see those sorts of things in a Xenoblade Chronicles-like game, Final Fantasy XII is a great choice. Awesome. And it sounds like they might be remastering it on PS4, but we'll see. All right. Well, uh, if that's, that's the last of our games... I guess that means this is the end of Nintendo week for today, so thank you so much for listening, everyone. Before we sign off, I want to let you know that we are not planning to have a new episode for you next Wednesday. Uh, that day is when our review of Super Mario Maker goes up on Gamnesia, so I need to spend as much of my time as possible on that instead. Uh, it's possible we'll do a sort of quick impromptu episode if anything really big happens. You can follow me on Twitter for updates like that, but don't count on it. What Colin's saying is he loves Super Mario Maker more than you. <laughs> Uh, if you like, I hate the content rollout. Let me just say, by the way, just skip ahead the nine days. It is a nightmare having to wait for the themes. Like that, aesthetic things like that are just such lame content gates. Just, anyway, if you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. It really helps with visibility, so we greatly appreciate it, especially if you have good things to say instead of bad ones. If you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com. And remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys, and we read them and talk about them here on the show, so it's a great way to get involved. Again, that's Colin at Gamnesia.com, C-O-L-I-N at G-A-M-N-E-S-I-A. If you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We've got Sony, Microsoft, Indie, you name it, and even Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. So thank you all so much for listening, and we hope you have another great week. <laughs>